0: Newspaper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Draftski show as I speak. It is Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. A new year, new show. An old friend uh, is waiting by to come on, my distinguished guest. Uh, before he brings on, I'll just uh, let you know what's in the newspaper today. The headline in the paper. I'll show my distinguished guest, show that I'm not making this up. And it's an actual newspaper. My distinguished guest is really impressed that I still get a newspaper. Uh, And it's from today's Sun-Times. Board of Ed wants cops out of school by fall. This just broke. Uh, My distinguished guest sent me the topics we would discuss today. Usually I send the guests the My He sent me the topics. This wasn't even on the list. But I figured, throw it in there. Uh, Wow. Board of Ed wants cops out of schools by fall. Uh, this would, uh, this is the headline in the bright one, uh, that would align with mayor's vision, but detractors say local school council should have final say, I'm laughing. That was like detractors and cr- anybody who like critic. I guess if you have a criticize the viewpoint of the mayor, no matter who the mayor is, you're a critic, you're a det- detractor. Why well, can't you just say someone with a different point of view? You know what I'm saying? I've always been like lumped in as a critic. You know, oh, just critics. And the old Mayor daily, even this is before my uh, distinguished guest even followed Chicago politics, there was a daily before the daily he knows. Just think about that, distinguished guest. Uh, and anybody dared to criticize anything that daily, he said, he goes, how many trees have they planted? And that was classic Chicago response to anybody who said anything uh, in response critical to what the mayor did. Uh, the um, anyway, this is an article by Sarah Karp, the distinguished Sarah Karp, who uh, covers education for BEZ, but her stories get published in the Sun Times these days. School's out for CPT. Well, I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, essentially, it's going to be a system wide uh, plan that the Board of Ed is going to enact. And I got to tell you, I'm with Troy Laravier in this one. I think it should be school by school. I believe the Chicago Police Department should pick up the tab. I do not believe we should take money from the Board of Education of the Chicago Public Schools to pay for police. Uh, I believe that is should come out of the police department's budget. But I don't know if I'm just thinking of a high school. I'm just going to make up a high school. Uh, I mean, Whitney Young. If Whitney Young decides, i got Whitney Young in my brain these days, that they want to have police uh, in their school and they want to spend their allowance that they get from the Board of Ed on it, why should the Board of Ed say no? That's an interesting question. Uh, I will now ask uh, my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and we'll see uh, which side of the debate uh, he falls on in this one. I haven't even prepped him in any way for this. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself, and away we will go.
1: Uh, This is Peter Cunningham, longtime fan of Ben Jarofsky. That's one of my leading credentials. uh, (laughs) As uh, Ben has often introduced me before, I've... I work for Mayor D- Richard M. Daley. Um, I'm a musician. I'm a father of, proud father of two Whitney Young graduates. I've worked in government and politics here in Chicago for a long time. And uh, one of the absolute highlights of my life is appearing on this show with Ben Jarowski.
0: Ben, man. <laughs> We have to take that one out and just broadcast that out into the universe, the highlight of his life. Uh, yes, and as I always say when he comes on, I don't know if he likes it or not, I say it anyway. Uh, if Mayor Daly ever said anything remotely intelligent, it's probably because Peter Cunningham wrote the speech. Uh, and uh, he never argues with me on that one because I think secretly P- Peter agrees with me on that. Um, all right. Uh, it, this was not on the list of things that you wanted to talk about. No, this is a good
1: topic. We can jump in right here.
0: Yeah, let's jump in with this. Uh, a lot to unpack in this one. First of all, the notion that anybody who disagrees with the mayor is a critic. Uh, do you have, Does that, like, irritate you? It uh, does. It does.
1: I mean, you're supposed to have robust civic debate. That, that's a sign of a healthy democracy. And you should expect... You should expect it. And, you know, the mayor has said numerous times, look, I'm open to discussion on these issues. Um, He's he's sort of messaged that very consistently. So uh, but it's interesting on education issues. They seem to be a little firmer about where they stand. Um, So this decision just uh, popped up suddenly that they no longer want to consult with the schools about police in the schools. They just want to get rid of them. Uh, a few weeks ago, they passed a resolution basically saying we want to transition uh, to, uh, you know, really focus on neighborhood schools. And everybody interpreted that to mean that they may start to um, either get rid of or certainly uh, de-emphasize uh, magnet schools, charter schools, uh, and even the choice system that we have in Chicago public schools. Uh, and um, I don't know if you saw a piece that was written by um, – Daniel Anello from the Kids First Chicago is in the Sun-Times, basically saying that, uh, you know, when it came to choosing the school board members, parents weren't consulted. So on education issues, there's a feeling that they have some very clear, they have some very explicit agendas, and they're not as open to conversation as, as, uh, you know, they would have you believe. Um, You know, and uh, as for this particular one, I'm with you. I think uh, it should be school by school. I thought that was a pretty good policy and it turned out that a whole lot of people wanted to keep police in their schools, even though uh, the studies also show that uh, it does contribute to the, to the um, school prison pipeline, I believe it's called Um, that a lot of, you know, young people were getting arrested um, because of police in schools and Less clear was how much safer it was making us. Nevertheless, I'm for uh,
0: letting LSCs decide. Yeah. What, what's the point of having an LSC if you're going to take away all their decision-making authority? And Peter and I are old enough to remember when LSCs were first created. I think you had lived in Chicago by then. You weren't still in New York. Uh, and uh, Yeah, 88, right?
1: Isn't, didn't it start in 88? Yeah,
0: 88 was right after, uh, well, the movement began when, uh, at the very end of Harold Washington's administration. Uh, and then after Harold died, uh, the law was passed, and um, and then uh, Mayor Richard M. Daly uh, was, I think, the first mayor to uh, deal with uh, the local school councils. And then, as you know, within five years, he decided uh, enough of this. Uh, he made the first movement uh, to centralize power and take away uh, authority from the local school councils when he took control of the school board in uh, what was it, 1995, and. Now I've just been a steady erosion of of their authority over the years, uh, to the point where it's almost a, a farce that we have them. So I, this this is just gets to the heart of why we have local school control, why we have a local empowerment. If you disagree with the uh, decision of the local school council, there is an election, right, Peter? I mean, it is a democracy. You can vote them out. Uh, just in to, theory. To have- Yeah, I mean, one of the problems with the mayor of Chicago, right, in theory, right. I
1: mean, one of the problems that we have in Chicago and Illinois is that we have so, so, so many units of local government, more than any other state. I don't know if you're aware of that. We have something like 8,000 units of local government in this state. And we we, we keep adding more. We're about to have an elected school board, which a lot of places have. You know, we're an outlier by not having one. Um, And we could talk about that a little bit, too uh but um we just announced we just uh, started electing um police district representatives uh and you know i would argue that uh people don't know they're not you know they they're not getting an opportunity to learn about who these folks are. And, you know, it's hard to make informed judgments. I'm a pretty informed voter, and I have a hard time keeping up on LSC members or police district candidates. Or, and now I'm going to have school board candidates. And it's just an awful lot of work for voters to figure out who to support. And most of these campaigns are not really funded, so they haven't spent a lot of money educating folks. So I, I just think it's... It's sort of democracy in theory, but I'm not sure it's democracy in
0: practice, you know. Well, I think it's the same. (laughs) I mean, this is democracy.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, I mean, this is how democracy works. Across the board, our our president, our president, uh, the presidential race that takes place this year, which is on the back of my mind constantly or in front of my mind, uh, is going to be determined by people who believe in uh, what? non-existent things right uh, so i just saw a poll uh that said like 33 percent of the populace believes uh that joe there was something tainted about uh joe biden's election and maybe he didn't win uh and uh i'm like that's an astounding uh statistic i i would argue that the cluelessness of the american populace in regards to uh the presidency uh, is far greater than the cluelessness of Peter Cunningham on matters of policing uh, in the city of Chicago. And yet the citizens of America get to determine, as clueless and ignorant and as uninformed as they are, Peter, they get to determine who the president is. I don't hear anybody saying, take away the right to vote, because they're dumb.
1: I don't know. I'm not sure I like the way you're putting that, Ben. As clueless which people part? are. Yeah, as clueless as people are, There are certainly people who believe things that I know t- are not true. You and I both know are not true. Uh, but they have been told an awful lot of things by people in very high level positions of power. And some of the institutions that we have had for a long time that were supposed to separate fact from fiction are not always doing their job the way they should be doing. And I'm talking about the media there, as you know. Uh, So, I I mean, I look at 2020, and I think, so people voted for Joe Biden over Donald Trump after four years of Trump, after watching him handle the big crisis of COVID, or mishandle it, really. And after watching, you know, I think four years of chaos. So they made a very rational decision. Uh, You know, how informed it was, you know, we can debate that. But it was a rational decision, in my opinion to vote for somebody who, uh, you know, you know, seemed normal and seemed like he was going to just, you know, bring some dignity back to the white house. Um, That was then, this is now here we are in 2024. And the fact that we're having a rematch or we may very well have a rematch is among the most
0: dispiriting uh, chapters in American history, in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, it's, it stems from what I repeat, whether you blame the media or you're looking for a, a, an explanation as to why the public is so clueless, as why the public is so irrational as to believe something that does not exist. So you've left, that was a, uh, it was a, what we call a pivot. It was brilliant. on I mean, your part of it, uh, the But what I, the point I was making is that democracy itself uh, is, is, is like it only works, I think, to a certain degree on how informed the public is in general. So you were saying, well, I even I, Peter Cunningham, who follow things in Chicago, am not in a position to decide who should be on the police council, and I'm saying, well, take a look at the <laughs> right <laughs> the president's race, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, fair and, enough. You know that was not on our list of things to discuss, but what since you raised it, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts about this. You know, um, I openly. Uh, I'm rooting for democracy to prevail in this country, as flawed as it may be, Peter. Uh, I I think it's a better system than fascism uh, or, you know, uh, uh, monarchy or whatever it is that uh, MAGA wants. Um, And yet it's a very uh, troubling time on so many fronts. It seems like uh, Joe Biden's coalition is just fraying and in danger of falling apart for many reasons, all of which we talk about on this show. Uh, Are you as alarmed going into this year uh, as I am about uh, the possibility that Donald Trump would be uh, elected president again?
1: I am. I am pretty alarmed. Uh, You know, I think I'm hearing a lot of young people saying disturbing things like, you know, I can't vote for him. Uh, You know, when I just want to go back to them and say, well, what are you going to do? Sit it out? What are you going to do? Vote for Trump? And, you know, uh, uh, I think either of those outcomes would be bad. I'm worried about the third-party candidates, uh, Bobby Kennedy and uh, somebody else. Oh, um, Cornell West pulling votes from Biden. I'm worried about, you know, Biden's poll numbers. I'm worried about a lot of things. And uh, I'm, I'm also worried just more... Fundamentally, about the fraying of the coalition, as you said, you know, the fact that um, uh, people of color who should have every reason in the world not to vote for Trump, uh, that significant numbers of them are open to them. Uh, I, I don't get it. Uh, you know, I think that, again, the same thing with young people. I don't get it. Uh, I'm hoping, I, I fully expect that the abortion issue will be very, very motivating to women, uh, as it should be. And I hope that that uh, really, really plays a big role in, in, in helping Biden get reelected. Uh, and I expect it will be a big factor. But you know, people often, often vote their pocketbook, and they're feeling frustrated with the inflation, and they're not necessarily feeling as gleeful as Wall Street, for example, which is at an all-time high. Unemployment's at an all-time low close to an all-time low, and yet people uh, see their grocery bill you know, still too high. And um, and then I think the immigration issue uh, is, is one. Just like, it's funny, like Mayor Lightfoot came in and COVID hit, and that became her albatross, right? Um, and then uh, uh, Mayor Johnson came in and Biden, and now immigration is theirs. That's be, that's become the issue that they're really, really both struggling with. And, uh, you know, I don't think there are easy answers, but I think there are better answers than the ones we've heard so far and seen. What are some of those better answers? Well, you know, I mean, first of all, just from a pure logistics standpoint, we ought to be able to do a better job of housing and feeding uh, 20,000 people, which is that The last time I checked was the approximate number. It's maybe a little higher now. But we're 2.7 million people. It's less than 1% of our population. We ought to be able to mobilize communities, uh, you know, find empty buildings, um, uh, uh, pull together city agencies across, you know, multi-agency task forces, uh, multi-jurisdiction, uh, you know, city, state, county, and just do a better job than it appears we have done um, I I talked to a uh, community leader a couple of weeks ago who told me that they're helping, a Latino community leader, and they're helping thousands of families. So there may be a better story out there than we even know, but, you know, uh, the story that I read about every day and see uh, is not a good one. And that's another challenge I think for this administration has been the communication. You know, I think like it or not, a big, big job of public officials is communications. And yeah, as you know, I've worked in government communications for a long time, on and off. And uh, you know, it it, it's just important that people know what their government is doing and that they hear the ideas, that they have a chance to reflect on them. And as you say, that if they question them that they're not dismissed as just critics and opponents, but as you know genuinely interested citizens who just wanna unpack these decisions and the spending and the way their money is spent and just find out if it's as you know if it's if it's logical and if not maybe they can contribute to some better ideas you know that that to me is what should happen and does happen in the best of circumstances
0: yeah no i uh I hear you on all, all fronts. Uh,
1: uh, I didn't really fully answer your question on the immigration thing. Like, the one thing I said was, you know, they should do a better job of housing and feeding them. But I also think that, that um, you know, we should have been pushing harder to get them back, to get them to work. Uh, e- even e- even in, you know, defying federal law, or whatever, you know, just do it. Give, give them a chance to work. Um, push real harder on that message. I think that... Um, uh, you know, the Biden administration should put together a very simple platform around, you know, speeding up the asylum process, uh, you know, managing the border better. Uh, and, you know, again, win the war on messaging. You know, I mean, this this border crisis didn't start with Joe Biden. It was acute during the Trump years as well. And their response to it was immoral and inhumane. Uh, you know, so at least we've, we're not doing what they would do. We're not separating children from families. But the bottom line is we're not doing nearly enough at the federal level or at the local level. Uh,
0: it seems as though this is a case where uh, Trump is winning. And feel free to push back on what I'm about to say. I know you will. But I just want to encourage you before I get to what I am going to say. Uh, it seems to me, from my perch here in my attic, uh, that Trump is winning. Uh, and I say that in part because of the opposition in so many corners of Chicago uh, to migrants in their community, uh, which kind of reminds me sort of, of the arguments I used to hear when I first moved to Chicago about scatter site housing. I don't know if that was an issue uh, when you moved to Chicago, Peter, but it was very much still uh, a, a heated issue back in the uh, early 80s when I moved here. Uh, and it's the not in my backyard at it, to prevalent throughout the city and where uh, people get up at meetings and uh, echo Trump. And I'm like, wow, man, this man is really brainwashed. Not only have 33% of the public believes that uh, he won an election that he lost, uh, but you have people in the city of Chicago, immigrants, denouncing immigrants. (laughs) Like there's something better about them because they got here, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years before the other guy did. I mean,
1: help me no, out. No, it's unbelievable. I think he, um, when you say winning, you think he he's winning in terms of the PR war. He's He, he hasn't offered better solutions to the immigration issue, has he? Well, wow,
0: no, when I say winning, I mean he's effectively brainwashed and gaslit America so that they start repeating the mindless drivel that he repeats. And then it turns into problems uh, for mayors like uh, adams johnson uh, right yeah i mean the biggest mistake we can make is underestimating this guy he's willing to say
1: virtually anything he got himself elected president uh against all odds and um you know and he's he's so clearly and obviously has an appeal to a certain uh, uh you know strata of the electorate so you know the last thing we should do is underestimate him and uh I hope the Biden, you know, the team Biden, the election team there, realizes that. It doesn't feel like they do yet. It feels like they think that people will just wake up and say, oh, this guy's crazy. But I don't think that's a good strategy. I think the strategy has to be much more aggressive. Uh, and as always, and I've said this to you a hundred times before, I also think that we need to remind, and this is much more in Biden's lane, we need to remind people that we're the guys who fight for the little guy. With the guys who fight to make middle-class American dream possible again. And every time I think we get pulled away from that message, uh, we get lost. Um, you know, that's the turf that we should be fighting on. Um, uh, you know, because we are. We are giving people, you know, we are protecting their retirement. We are supporting their education. We are trying to make it more affordable by lowering college costs. We are... You know, at least talking about making housing more affordable. There's a lot we need to, still to do. Um, but these guys don't care about those issues. Um, you know, healthcare, You know, if it wasn't for us, a whole lot of people with pre-existing conditions would be out of, out of, out of, uh, out of luck. So job, home, health care, education, retirement. My five things, Ben, I've been saying them for years. and I'm going to keep on saying them until I die. The basic middle-class promise there, you know. Wait, what were the five again? I'm writing them
0: down. Job, home, healthcare, education, retirement. Okay. Those I, are my five. Uh, I flipped health and home, but I got it. Uh, I got that dyslexia kicking in. Uh, jobs, home, health, uh, uh, education, retirement. My handwriting is so ba- bad, I wrote election. I read it as an election as opposed to education. No. Uh, well, democracy is uh, at risk, too, but... You know the the one way to protect it is just to go out and vote yeah i um i that was something else that's on my mind. I talked about this yesterday uh, and um that by repeating uh that democracy is risked too much and that if you choose, if you make that your central theme uh you'll turn voters off uh and this being the chicken little concept, people think you're just complaining about something uh, that's not going to happen. I read this article, uh, in, in in connection to uh, the environment, which uh, is the notion that climate change is going to destroy the world as we know it, uh, and that people, because it hasn't literally happened, uh, yesterday, people turn you off, uh, and, um, so I'm wondering, should I just change my entire approach in 2024 and stop being who I am? And I go, well, it's a little too late for that, uh. But uh, your general thoughts on the chicken little concept of warning people about the end of democracy if Donald Trump is elected. Well, you know, I think it's it's I'm always for telling the truth. And the truth
1: is that he tried to, um, you know, pervert democracy. The truth is that a lot of Republican states have tried to limit voting. Uh, The truth is that, um, you know, there was no widespread fraud. The truth is that he lost 60 plus cases. Uh, And the truth is that um, he encouraged the mob on January 6th, 2021. Those are all, you know, well-established facts. You know, he was impeached for that last one. He's now, he's been indicted for several of the other things he's done. So, you know, I, I, I think that, and the truth is that he's, he's, you know, he's, publicly enamored, expressed his, you know, admiration for people like Putin and, and uh, you know, Viktor Orban and other authoritarians. So I, I, I do think there's a real threat to democracy. And uh, um, but the answer, again, is pretty simple. Vote. Yeah. Get more people to vote and, you know, vote, vote for, you know, vote for what you see and vote for what you know. And the truth is that a lot of people have been told things that aren't aren't true uh, and they may not be reachable, but i I took a lot of comfort in the outcome in twenty twenty because you know Trump had the bully pulpit he 'd been running the country, and people came out in significant numbers and rejected them it was it It was pretty close when you really look at the three or four swing states that mattered. you we were talking about ten twenty thousand votes per state. So that's a tiny, tiny percentage. If they had swung differently, would have uh would have uh swung the election. Same thing in twenty sixteen. I mean, a couple of thousand votes here and there and Hillary would have been president. So uh we just gotta get more people to vote. And you know, uh that's even more true here in Chicago. I think our turnout in the last election was about thirty three percent. Is that about right? Yeah.
0: So I mean that's that's kind of a broken politics, in my opinion. No, Chicago, you know? I listen, uh, that's a whole other show. Democracy in Chicago is really, uh, it's not being practiced, that's for sure, by the voters themselves. And uh, we could talk for hours about why they're turned off and why they don't vote. Uh, but that's been the reality for a while. And it helps the incumbents. So I don't think people in Chicago are worried about it. or You know, the uh, elected officials are worried about it, Peter, because it helps them.
1: Yeah. yeah. So if we're looking for some good news, Ben, okay. there is some good news. Okay. All right. So yeah. we have had double digit decreases in homicides and shootings two years in a row. Okay. Over the last two years, 2021 was the worst year in, in a quarter of a century uh, since the 1990s. Uh, we had 800, uh, 800 homicides, 804, I believe, and over 4,400 shootings. Fatal and non-fatal. And we're down, shootings are down 33% over the last two years. Homicides are down 23% over the last two years. That's meaningful. And as you know, I do a lot of work in this field. And uh, so I think that's something that uh, uh, everybody can be proud of, uh, including the mayor. Um, We have a new superintendent who appears to be, uh, you know, up to the challenge of both rebuilding morale in the police department. And advancing reform; uh, those are the two things that have to happen, and of course, increasing effectiveness. They have to, you know, they have to boost the clearance rate. They got to arrest guys who are shooting people. Uh, and I think he understands that. So I think there's reason to be hopeful on that front.
0: Uh, I, that's, by the way, uh, the main impetus uh, for me to reach out to you. Uh, and it's I'm negligent in this conversation, but not leading with that. I Forgot how we got off on the top topic that we did but whatever neither here nor there we're here now uh and so i have in front of me yesterday's newspaper which uh says shootings down crime up and i i I talked about this yesterday in the show or yesterday i'm doing days i talked about tuesday's paper i should say and um i just shook my head uh peter uh the media now i don't want to sound like uh i'm a a communications chief uh, for Richard M. Daly. Uh But my God, media. <laughs> God damn, man. I mean, what? what is <laughs> you just want to? <laughs> critics say, I mean, it's good news. We talked so much about bringing shootings and homicides down. We have some good news. <laughs> and now all we're told, oh, it doesn't matter because this other thing is what matters, because, I don't know, maybe we figure more clicks or more newspapers we saw. Who knows what prevailing thoughts are cascading through the minds of whoever wrote this headline. Adjust this, Peter. Help me out with this one. I mean... <laughs> don't yeah, feel the truth good, is uh, Feel bad. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, crime is down in almost every category, except armed robberies. It's way up. Um, and... uh and you know, armed robberies are traumatic experiences for people. Um, and uh, but I didn't like that headline either, and I didn't like the spin. I thought, you know, we should really be celebrating the fact that uh, something like uh, fifteen hundred fewer people were shot this year compared to a couple of years ago. So you know, that's that's meaningful. And not only is it great that. People were not shot. It saves a ton of money. All of those, every single shooting triggers hundreds of thousands in costs uh, in policing time, and it triggers, in many cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars in healthcare costs. And the trauma is so extreme. I mean, we have had so many shootings in Chicago in the last 20 years. You think of all the people who have been traumatized by it, and how many of them have had the opportunity to even talk to someone about it, process it. Um, so uh, well, one of the guys we work with said to me once, he said, there's a lot of walking time bombs out there. And it's really so true that that whole neighborhoods have just become, you know, numb to the level of violence. And that's what we're trying to change. And, you know, I'm hopeful that, that, that you know, in the next couple of years we can. There's more support for what we're
0: doing today than there ever has been. Well, uh, let's talk about... Uh... The, who the we in that sentence, uh, they, that and what it is that the we uh is doing, uh, because uh, I would like to see if there is if this is uh, this decline in uh, shootings and in homicide is a result of something proactive that people are doing, then we could do more of it and it will continue to declining. Whenever Mark Sims comes on the show. Uh, we, always, we always talk about the Peter Cunningham. We always give you credit uh, where we talk about get, getting homicides down to below 400, which I know sounds way Which hasn't crazy. happened since 1965. Yes. That's what we always say. As Peter Cunningham says, it happens. So, um, yeah, last year it was over 600, I want to say. I'm doing something in my head. Um, so what is, what, what's been going on? Yeah. So as you know, I, I should have introduced it as, um,
1: uh, I work with uh, Arnie Duncan's organization called Chicago Cred, and it's a violence prevention organization. It's one of about 20 or 23 violence prevention organizations in Chicago that are active in 37 different neighborhoods of the city. So almost half the city has at least the presence of a violence prevention group. Um, and, uh, you know, the the concept is that these organizations which are mostly staffed by you know formerly incarcerated guys guys who came from the streets guys who understand that lifestyle guys who have trust and respect in the communities and they go out and they engage directly with the guys who are at risk of shooting people or at risk of being shot and they you know try and get them to put down their gun trying to get them to think differently about their work try and give them some therapy give them a little bit of help them think through their stresses so that they're not overreacting to insults online or something like that going out and shooting someone just because they got, they've, you know, perceived some insult. Um, so, you know, police don't do that. Police, you know, really mostly arrest people after the fact. They, they have some deterrent effect if they're, you know, present. But what we do really is try and go to guys who we know are on the, verge of shooting someone or on the verge of being shot or at risk of it. Uh, we go to people who've been shot uh, and are at the hospital. You go to the hospital where somebody who's just been taken after a shooting and their family will be there. They're all angry and they're ready to you know, seek revenge. And we engage directly with them. We try and talk to them. We try and help them understand that that's not a winning strategy for them and it's not going to turn out well. Um, and we we cannot sit here and say that our work is causing the decline in gun violence. We cannot claim that. We just point to the correlation, just to the data and say, look, the data is promising. So we'd like to continue our work. We'd like to expand it. We'd like to see if we could really accelerate the decline more. So that's what we do. It's called community violence intervention. And like I said, there's a... About two dozen organizations doing it in about almost half the neighborhoods of the city right now, and it's it, it's not cheap. You know, it costs money because you know we we give our guys pen, uh, stipends to participate. You know, because they need money, they need to eat, they need to pay rent, they need to feed their families. We give them therapy, we give them job training, we give them a life coach, we give them you know a community of folks who are willing to help them change, and uh, we believe in it. We believe it's – and and I'll say that Chicago has now built a network that's more robust than maybe anywhere in the country, um, according to quite a few experts in the field. And so that's what we want to see is we want to make the most of that right now. Uh, I,
0: I wouldn't even put a uh, price tag on it. You know, I think you said it's, it costs money. It's not cheap or what have you. I I wouldn't, this should be at the top of the list in my humble opinion. Uh, yeah. I mean,
1: we spend 2 billion a year on a police department and most people want police. They want police. They want to see them. They want them to be present. They want them to show up in the crisis, you know, so this is not anti-police in any way, but it's, it's definitely about encouraging and police to, you know, to reform, to embrace, uh, you know, uh, uh, deescalation tactics, things like that, as opposed to escalating that too often has happened in the past, build trust, build relationships. But what we do is, is, is something they can't do. You know, we actually engage directly with these guys at risk and, you know, uh, we believe in it. And it, it it's not nearly as expensive. I mean, we're not spending nearly as much as we spend on policing to do it. We're probably spending two or $3 for every hundred dollars we spend on policing in Chicago.
0: And what, in your humble opinion, uh, lessons uh, would apply from your successes here to uh, bringing down, let's say, uh, armed robbery uh, in the city? I don't know. You know, it's, it's 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 um
1: I mean I could argue that if you give some more of these guys a stipend they wouldn't be out robbing people because they're mostly robbing them for money. Um uh and you know, they they've been blocked from participating in the legal economy. You know, they can't get jobs. They have you know, records. Um, you know, many of them have dropped out of high school, so they you know, so one of the things we do is help them go back and get a degree. But there's just a lot of barriers to them entering the legal economy, and if we could reduce those barriers, that would be one way to stop our, to lower the number of armed robberies. You know, give them a stipend, give them some supports, give them the help they need, give them a life coach, and you know, give them some training so that they can get a job, and give them a job. <laughs> How about actually giving them a job? That would be a good thing. And uh, you know, right now um, the civic committee, the commercial club, who I also do a little work for. Uh, they're they're organizing their members to try and provide jobs, uh, thousands of jobs to guys coming out of our programs. Uh, they're organizing their members to start investing in these communities that, you know, have been disinvested since the 68 riots. You know, I mean, out on the far west side of Chicago, some of those areas have never recovered from those riots. And so, um, you know, Everybody's sort of in agreement. There's like a kind of an alignment around the importance of CVI and traditional policing, you know, both in Chicago at a level that's never existed before. And so we're really hopeful that in the coming years, we can, we'll take our work to scale. We'll hit the, at least the top 15 neighborhoods that are highest risk and highest levels of violence. And we'll serve you know, 50 to 75% of the guy's at risk. That's our, that's our long-term goal. If we can make it.
0: All right. Uh, the other t- uh, topic uh, on the list of things that you wanted to uh, entertain today uh, had to do with uh, this, uh, my dear friend, uh, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, and her comments uh, that, uh, well, you, you boil it down to progressives uh, can't manage. She was actually a little more specific than that and uh, the comments that she made. And the reason, and the reason I know she was more specific is because she made them on my show uh, Yeah, and she'll be back uh, in the next week or the week after to talk about the the fallout over it uh, but what she said was it, uh, she went on the mic Peter and said something that so many people have said to me privately who then went and blasted her for saying it so let's just pause and think about the utter hypocrisy of you human- I know people all oh, bet you just love Jeanette Taylor so much yeah, I do love Jeanette Taylor. I do. I admit it. But the utter hypocrisy of people, they tell me what she said, and then when she says it publicly, they criticize her. So I'm just going to say, people, you are I'm weird. Shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm just so shocked. You are I've never weird. heard of
1: that happening. To
0: Chicago. you Chicago. Know, here's <laughs> the thing. He, yeah.
1: Here's the thing. She raised, she raised an important question. Are you know, are, what was her phrase if it it wasn't progressives? I
0: think she was uh, talking, she said movement. And uh, so she was specifically talking about, uh, okay, we get, are we ready to govern? Yeah. Are are we we ready ready to govern? govern? The people who, who uh, led Brandon Johnson's campaign, joined his campaign uh, most vociferously and eagerly knocked on the doors for him. Uh, Are they ready to govern? Right, um, and
1: here's the context. So you have cities like Portland, Minneapolis, San Francisco, widely viewed as um, kind of progressive cities, and there's been a narrative pushed from the right that these places are all out of control, uh, and they're dysfunctional, and they're not solving problems. And there's, as always, there's some truth to it, uh, but there's plenty of dysfunction in... Republican managed cities and Republican managed states, including higher murder rates than anywhere else in the country. Um so, you know, as always, there's more fiction than fact when it comes to these things. But we do not want to become the poster child of a failed progressive government. And I, I use those those three words together because they were in an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, failed progressive government or failed Failure of progressive government. Um, And they're going to try and make us that in this Democratic Convention, during the Democratic Convention. The Republicans are going to do everything they can to suggest that Chicago is a failure. And I actually think we're far from a failure. I think think actually Mayor Johnson has done a number of things that are pretty impressive. Um, Whether you agree with them or not, he's got them done. He passed a budget uh, with a healthy, healthy margin. Um, I think he avoided, uh, raising taxes, which, you know, for a lot of people, that's important, including Ben Jaravsky, I believe. <laughs> um, and, uh, he, uh, he, you know, he, he did a lot of things he promised to do, whether, whether you agree with him or not. He, you know, he pushed for higher minimum wage for tipped workers and he, he's, uh, you know, pushed paid leave, all things he said he was going to do. He did. So I think that, um, you know, and of course the narrative will be, oh my god, you're going to drive business out. Well, business is doing pretty good in Chicago. They're thriving and they're still committed to this place. And you see us growing as a tech center. Uh, you see us investing in transportation in a big way. So, you know, there's a lot to be positive about here. I'm not saying that, you know, the mayor's done everything right, and I'm not saying I agree with them on every issue, but we've got the raw material to push back on this narrative and I want to push back on this narrative. Uh, The migrant issue, I think, is the one that's most evident of the struggle. And that's not a problem that we created ourselves. That's a problem that's actually created by uh, right-wing governors from the South. So, uh, you know, we just have to do a better job of shaping this narrative and driving it. We also have to do a better job, obviously, of solving problems. But, you know... You know me. I'm like the guy with a hammer who thinks everything looks like a nail. I'm so focused on narrative and the message and the storyline.
0: And, you know, I really want to get the story out that this is a great city. Well, uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson, if you're listening, I know you are. Uh, I got Peter's number. And, you know, he made Daley look smart. So, just you know, he's pretty good at this (laughs) stuff. Uh, And... uh, (laughs) Uh, and so uh, you give him a call, and, and I'm sure he'll be uh, ready to go back into politics. Uh, Happy to help. Happy to help.
1: I'm helping in my own way. I am helping. Uh, through the work I do with my clients, we're helping to build a, a better narrative about this city.
0: I, I, I uh, My personal bit of frustration uh, with uh, Jeanette Taylor's uh, response to the Jeanette Taylor interview and I understand where it comes from, but I'm going to say it anyway, other than uh, the inconsistency of my friends on the left, uh, is the, <laughs> man, oh, man, she, she had a lot of great things and powerful uh, things to say in that conversation, uh, particularly about racism in this city, uh, and, uh, the city uh, and the absence of any kind of um, care for huge chunks of the city, particularly where black people, poor black people, uh, and you were talking at length about what, what uh, y- your program does to uh, try to help uh, quell violence and deter shootings. Uh, and she was talking about the huge swaths of land in the city that just remained vacant and no housing has been put on them. And we have my- people moving to Chicago and there should be a coordinated effort in which everybody is involved, not just Mayor Johnson, but the state, the feds and the business community. You know, like, let's say we were do it with the same eagerness that you all jumped aboard Mayor Daly's Olympic bandwagon. How about that? You know, uh, Chicago. And she pointed out that there was a failure there. Peter, no one commented on that. You know what I'm saying? It was like, oh, well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Who cares? Helping black people. We don't care about that. We want to undercut Mayor Johnson. And I'm like, man, this this. I know. What a, what
1: a trip. Politics has always been our favorite contact sport in this city um, to the um, you know, to the absence of uh, collaboration around policy issues. Housing is a great example. I mean, like nobody wants to. Everybody talks about affordable housing, but then when it comes time to actually do it, they always want it somewhere else. And like you say, the scattered-tight housing, that, that was the old version of it. Keep that away from me. So... You know, um, that that requires a lot of muscle. You know, uh, Mayor Lightfoot's approach was to try and uh, go after uh, automatic pr- prerogative. That didn't work out very well, did it? That was the made-up
0: issue. I uh, totally made up issue. I, I still think, I say this to this day, and it doesn't really matter, uh, that she would be still the mayor if she uh, had embraced Willie Wilson but, and, and cultivated a friendship and alliance. With Willie Wilson, i to this yeah, i she would be mayor of Lightfoot, uh, no doubt in my mind she would have won that first round, and then she would have beat Paul Vallis, speaking of which I know uh we you and I didn't see eye to eye in the last election uh I supported Brandon Johnson, you supported Paul Vallis. I asked you when you talk talked to Vallis uh let him know come on, Paul, why don't you give Brandon Johnson credit because all you uh MAGA types in the Chicago said uh he's a defund the police guy. I'm not even saying I support him on this one, but I just want to point out he's a defund the police guy. Uh and Johnny Catanzara, the head of the police union, said police will be leaving in droves. And the, you know, the Tribune editorial and all the others wait. Well, yeah, Johnny Catanzara knows what he's talking about. Yeah. He gave the police a raise, Peter Cunningham. He gave a raise right off the bat. Boom. I didn't hear Paul Vallis go, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> you know, I, everything I said was wrong about this guy. And I remember uh, Arnie Duncan, uh, your good friend, actually advocated the reason he was going to vote for Vallis because Valles could bring peace to the police department. Who has brought more police than the lefty? I argue. I submit to you, Peter that Brandon Johnson has been more favorable to the rank-and-file police officer in the city of Chicago than Lori Lightfoot, Rahm Emanuel, or Richard M. Daley, who Remember how what police negotiations were like with them, Peter? Oh, we're going to let the contract expire so we could save three years on paying them the uh, salary uh, increases. And yet I don't see anybody on the right uh, giving Brandon Johnson any kind of credit for that they just keep repeating that MAGA narrative that you just alluded to. So politics still remains, in my humble opinion, as you just pointed out, uh, what a great enemy, uh, to just what, democracy. in the is not just to getting stuff done. Sometimes just
1: gets in the way of getting stuff done. You know, um, uh, you know, Paul Paul spent his life in public service, and I know that a lot of people have mixed feelings about him, but I, I, I actually think he's got a good heart, and I think he, uh, he gave a lot to the city. Um, but, you know, he's not the mayor, um, and the current mayor is... Uh, he, you're right. He, I, he, he gave the police a raise. Um, he settled their contract. I mean, he's a union guy. He believes in, uh, you know, supporting the rank and file. So... Yeah, you know, that's why these issues are always not as simple as everyone wants to make them out to be, you know. Uh, At the same time, he at least uh, mobilized a segment of the electorate that felt that, you know, policing in Chicago was kind of broken, you know, that, you know, know, there was not a lot of accountability, there was not a lot of trust, and uh, all that's true. And as I said, I think with his new police chief, can he both – um, increase their effectiveness, boost police morale, slow down the retirements and attrition, and um, you know, uh, uh, you know, make us all feel safer. That's a, that's a really pretty tall order when you try and do all those things at once. So, uh, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes I kind of wish that everybody just put the politics aside for about you know, two and a half years or three years. And then just like blow a whistle and say, "Okay, politics is back for a year. Let's go," you know what I mean? Yeah, that'd be funny. <laughs> But it doesn't really work that way. We're in the we we live in a permanent political cycle at this point. I mean, look at look at Washington. They, they just won't let Biden do anything, right? Zero. Whatever he's for, we're against. Period. And Mitch McConnell did that. Newt Gingrich did that. You know, and you know, I'm sure some Democrats did that as well. But we don't
0: do it nearly as much as those guys. I you know, I, I have to think about that. Uh, I can't I can't recall Democrats uh, as a party doing it. Uh, nope. I mean, I lived nope. through the uh, uh, Ronald Reagan years and Tip O'Neill, uh, and Danny Rasikowski, uh, yep. Your old yep. friend working with them. I was against them. It, it, they yeah. called it tax reform, uh, but yeah. Rosikowski went on national TV, Peter, to advocate for uh, doing away with progressivity in the tax rate. Even I'm probably the only guy in America who remembers this. He went on national TV. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Rosty, R O S T Y, uh, to Joint Forces. But I, I mean, just another universe. No, I, no, Peter. I think you're
1: right. I can't, I, I can't think of any. I'd have to think, think, think uh, hard to try and find. Any egregious example of us doing the same kind of scorched
0: earth stuff that nah, they do nah, every nah. Council single wars. day. This is uh, nationwide council wars uh, where they're just attempting to sabotage the government in order to uh, reelect their person. And the Democrats have never played that game on a national level the way uh, the Republicans have for basically our entire uh, adult lifetime, Peter. Um, all right, we're going to close with this—a totally uh, non-political non-governmental related question that every guest has been getting on the Ben Jarowski show. So it's, uh, I've forced people to share just a portion of my obsession with sports. Now, uh, Peter, just for the word record is not a bears fan. Uh, he comes from New York and he loves the New York giants. Uh, <laughs> he's not a sports geek. I mean, let's get this right here. You oh know, my I'm- God. Now he's because he wants to duck and dodge the question. He's going to say, he's not a sports geek. This man, was one of the greatest basketball players in the daily administration. Can I just tell you that? Oh, that I uh, not even nearly true. There's Arnie ahead. Duncan. And then who else? Nobody else. Arnie Duncan. And who else? In the whole daily administration. That's it. You couldn't fail. Fiddle, uh, you couldn't get five. people. Who's, who's your point? Guard? I got cut. I got cut from the eighth grade basketball <laughs> team. So
1: I just you remember know.
0: you invited me to a basketball game. Uh, once that you were playing, it was back in the nineties. Uh, and it was, there was, I, I laughed when I heard the lineup. I forget who was like these uh, politicians. All right. Uh, so should the Bears re-sign Justin Fields or should they uh, trade him and draft another quarterback? Go. I think this is so uninformed, <laughs> but a,
1: a, a, an opinion. Yeah. But uh, uh, I think they probably need a new one. You know, and I know he had a great game on Sunday. I watched a little bit of it. It was so much fun. They, they looked like they were having so much fun. It was a game that didn't matter to them. And they, they just looked like a great team. And he's so much fun to watch when he scrambles. Um, uh, but it just seemed like there were too many times when, when uh, they blew it, you know. And so, you, you know, you need a transformative quarterback to be competitive, you know, out I don't know enough about the game to know whether, you know, loading up Justin Fields with a couple of great receivers and a couple of great running backs would uh, would would put him in, you know, would put the team at a top shelf with Fields. I, I just don't know enough. Uh, I like Fields. I love watching him. Uh, and uh, if there were two or three other people to draft who, uh, who really could be game changers, uh, you know, I'd say keep them. I just don't know if there are. I I, I, I have no idea. You're asking me <laughs> a, a, about a Peter, topic that I know
0: nothing about. If if I asked you about tax policy in Chicago, you would weigh in. I would argue you know more, even, of, even though I, even though I don't know anything about I, it. I right? think you argue more. You know more about the Bears quarterback situation than you do know about tax policy, and you would not hesitate. You, you ever known it? You you've been on those shows on like Channel Eleven where they they have the reporters come on and then like right before the show, they like they give them a <laughs> pretend, you know, enough about this topic to uh, say something. No, I it's the talk of the town. You have to have an opinion in my humble opinion. Uh, and I say, keep them, keep him, keep them. All right. You say, keep them. Oh, keep no doubt in my mind. The guy's so exciting and, the, and he's got leadership qualities. Uh, the players okay, love nice. him. Oh. You know, and if they're terrible,
1: so what? <laughs> I didn't know all that. I didn't know all that. <laughs> well, you know what? What are, what are his numbers? Tell me one of his numbers that's really impressive. I guess rushing yards. He's probably yeah, next, I mean, he's probably a leader, right? Yeah.
0: I don't know. You, you know what? You, uh, in
1: football. That game on Sunday was just fabulous. Yeah. I ended up watching about two quarters of it, and I rarely watch football at all. So,
0: and, and by the way, they were still uh, – this is so astounding. They still had a chance uh, for the playoffs and so so that was a must-win for the playoffs. Now I'll tell you what: if the Bears beat the Packers on Sunday, uh, which will be uh, uh the first in time, Green Bay in Green Bay to knock the Packers out of the playoffs, Justin Fields could the. You can run for mayor. for mayor. He can run for mayor right now. <laughs> Actually, uh, a lot of people would. Uh, all right,
1: all right. I'll go with you. I'll, I'll go with what you say, man. You know, like I said, this is really not a topic I'm I'm qualified to talk about. Uh, um, and I, and I like the guy in a lot of ways. I, I was just under the impression that that uh, there were too many games that we were, were losing. Now you could argue, and I often do, that coaching is more of a factor than than the quarterback. Uh, I certainly think that 's true in close games. you know when you get down to the last three minutes and the team makes big mistakes that 's coaching in yeah. my opinion right yeah I mean maybe a guy got you know creates a penalty and that 's not you can 't blame the coach for somebody who does something stupid but
0: but uh you know. Yeah, and we're not going to talk about the pass that was dropped uh, in the the game against Cleveland, which I still haven't got over. Right, from. that
1: was the one right on the uh, road right on the end line. Yeah, and no, and was, what about the one where the guy was? <laughs> yeah, you, you mean where he he fell down and the ball came right into his hands and he <laughs> dropped it? I saw that one too.
0: I'm like, come on, man, so in your hands. I think I could have caught that ball.
1: All right. I mean, I'll tell you, I'm very excited about Connor Bedard. If we're going to talk sports, oh, he's a hot. High-
0: this man's a hockey, hockey fan, athlete. ladies and gentlemen.
1: No, but I'm just uh, in saying fact, I'm excited about him. And I'm really intrigued by the fact that the Bulls are playing so well without Zach Levine. Yeah.
0: What, what do we make of that? Uh, well, uh, first of all, they didn't play so well last night. Uh, they got clobbered by Philadelphia. Um, that has been a big topic on this show as well. Uh, and I will say this, that I believe Zach Levine has been playing injured all year. Uh, and that so the the old bull policy of just giving the ball to Zach and DeMar DeRozan and then everybody else stands to the side uh doesn't work when when Zach Levine is at 70 percent of capability he's not that good and so you're better doesn't work it, anyway it doesn't, it doesn't work, work anyway. anyway right exactly uh it it doesn't work anyway so I prefer share the ball uh philosophy. But then again, as you pointed out, if, if 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 Zach Levine was so great that he could lead the Bulls to victories by just hogging the ball and not passing the ball, I'd be just a typical Chicago one. Don't pass the ball. Shoot, Zach. We are an inconsistent people. Peter, this has been the theme of today's show in politics as in sports. We are inconsistent. Uh, and yet we're supposed to be uh, the captains of our fate through democracy. All right, Any anything you want to promote before I let you go? Any rock concerts? Anything. Go. The floor no, your... no. I just had a nice show uh, the, the night
1: before New Year's Eve. It was fun. It was at the Hungry Brain. I play there pretty regularly. But uh, no, you know, feeling good, hunkering down for the winter. And uh, the days are already getting longer. So um, I'm trying to trying – to,
0: Put on my rose-colored
1: glasses and stay positive.
0: All right, that's what I need, rose-colored glasses. When you're done with yours, give them to me. I could use some. Uh, All right, well, thank you very much, Peter. Appreciate it, as always, uh, and talk to you real soon, all right? That's the great Peter Cunningham. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.